Perfect. Well, good morning, everybody. It's nice to be here with you on a day of brunch. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and I'm really looking forward to our topic this morning, even though I feel compelled to confess to you that I am not qualified to talk to you about forgiveness. Um, in fact, I might be one of the least qualified people to talk to you about forgiveness. As a child, my brother gave me the nickname of Grudgeon for my ability to hold a grudge forever. I can hold on to resentment. I have made resentment my friend, and so I am a person in process just like you. And so, of course, sometimes the Lord randomly assigns you the things that you most need to work on yourself. And so that, that can be good, because we're going to learn together about forgiveness. Um, forgiveness is hard. It's not supposed to be easy, but there's no getting around this reality that forgiveness is something that we're called to do all the time. We're called to do this hard thing, and there's so many stories in the scriptures, there's so many reminders throughout the letters that Paul wrote to the church. Jesus himself talked about forgiveness many times, and so even though I find it hard and I don't want to do it, I find it also equally hard to get around the fact that it's clearly something that we're called to do. And so this morning I want to take a look at the story of David and Saul because I think um, it's a beautiful picture of forgiveness and it's sort of this story about a king who was driven mad by jealousy. What I really love about this room is it actually gives us this helpful chart right back here. And so if you remember, we've already talked about Ruth. And then we talked about Hannah and her son Samuel who she gave over to the Lord for a purpose. And so now we're actually just like bumping up the chart. So Samuel, we're going to talk about again today. He's going to be the priest in our story. Saul is going to be the king. And then David, well, you'll see. So this is part of, I love this visual. It kind of helps you orient where we are in the scriptures. But as you remember before, we talked about the period of the judges. And in the judges, there were judges that were assigned to sort of dictate the law, to solve circumstances. That was sort of their system of law. But the people of Israel kept looking around at everybody else and they were jealous of the kings, and they wanted a king for themselves. And God tried to tell them that this was a bad idea, but they kept asking, and so God relents, and he gives them a king. And the very first king is Saul. And so Samuel, the Lord's priest, anoints Saul as the first king of Israel. And things go all right for a little while, but Saul is extremely brash, and he makes foolish decisions, and his serious missteps quickly lead the Lord to decide, Saul is no longer my anointed one. I will find a new king for Israel. Meanwhile, there's a war going on with the Philistines, and so Saul is engaged with all of these different battlefronts. And in the midst of this, Samuel does what God tells him to do, and he ends up anointing David as the next king of Israel. Now, when Samuel went to anoint David, he actually has eight older brothers, and they all kind of came through from oldest to youngest, one by one. And David wasn't even there. He was just out in the fields tending to the sheep. And so they went to get him, and he runs back. And there's this moment where Samuel anoints David to be king. It's an extremely significant thing, but then David sort of just goes right back out to the sheep. And as our story carries on, this battle with the Philistines is raging on as well. And they are challenged by a giant named Goliath. I'm betting you've heard this story before. David kills the giant with his sling and with a stone. And at that moment, he 
enters Saul's radar in a very big way. And Saul does not want to let him out of his sight. And so Saul makes David a commander in the army. And so David, he's having these campaigns. He's finding success. And um, so much success, in fact, that the people write him a song. And this is the song they sing. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul doesn't like this song very much. (laughs) Saul, who we already know is prideful and jealous, now starts to teeter on the edge of madness. And so to set the stage for this whole story today, this verse does it pretty clearly. 1 Samuel 18, 9, from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. So this is where things start to escalate because Saul is driven mad. Meanwhile, David has become best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan, and he has married one of Saul's daughters. But Saul, despite all of these connections, despite all of David's faithfulness to him over and over again, he can't deal with it anymore. And so he starts to throw spears at David. And so by the time we get to the passage we're studying this morning, Saul and David have sort of been playing this game of cat and mouse. And David keeps running and Saul keeps attacking And then Saul keeps having these moments where he seems repentant or like he understands that David's not actually against him. And then the whole thing unravels again. And so they've been chasing each other. Well, Saul's been chasing David. David's been running. And then Saul gets jealous and throws more spears. And so we get to this moment where Saul, he catches wind of where David is in this cave. And he enters the cave. This is what happens. We're going to read from 1 Samuel 24, 3 to 7. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. The Lord knows I shouldn't have done that to the Lord, the king. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king and attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. So David has this moment where he can kill Saul and he chooses not to. He offers forgiveness rather than revenge, which which really he would have been very justified in exacting revenge in this moment. He's been chased and chased and chased and attacked and attacked and attacked, and he's had spears thrown at him on multiple occasions, and yet he chooses forgiveness. He chooses not to retaliate, and he offers forgiveness. And the first truth I think we can learn from this is that forgiveness is a gift. Forgiveness is a gift. If you've ever studied the five love languages before, And if you haven't, I do recommend it, especially in the realm of parenting. It can be really helpful to learn how your kids are wired to give and receive love, how you're wired to give and receive love, and it helps people who are wired differently to connect better. But what what we talk about in the five love languages is, is how you give and receive love. And for some reason, people are hesitant to claim gifts as their love language. Like, hey, you know what makes me feel loved? Buy me stuff. But that's my love language. 
I love to receive a gift and it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be expensive. Target dollar spot is always like a really safe bet for me in case you would like to give me a gift. That's what I like. Uh, but this is the thing I love most about a gift is that it's not earned or deserved. A gift is just given because. So like when my son fills up his sticker chart and we had to target for a toy, that's not a gift, that's a reward. Or when it's Valentine's Day and my husband buys me flowers, even though I've told him over and over again that Valentine's Day is a made-up holiday and I don't believe in it and we shouldn't waste our money on something that's been made up by Hallmark, but then I start to see everybody else's Instagram posts with their flowers and then I start to feel jealous and my husband knows if he doesn't get me the flowers, it's not going to go well for him. <laughs> Just me? Okay. Also not a gift, right? That's an obligation. That's an obligation. A gift is given freely, it doesn't expect anything in return. And that is why the best gifts are the one that come unexpected, not attached to a birthday or to Christmas, these gifts that just come to you out of nowhere and you just, you feel so loved. A gift doesn't respect anything in return and neither does forgiveness. And maybe that's one of the hardest things about forgiveness. See, it's a one-way street. It's not contingent on what the other person has done or what the other person will do, even though most of us really want it to be. And I've noticed, actually, that um, I've been teaching my kids to forgive this way as well. See, I don't know about you. Your kids are probably very angelic, but mine sometimes fight with each other. And they get into scuffles, and they yell. And when they get into a fight, this is kind of how it goes. I say something like, now, Aria, it was not right of you to color on your brother's paper. That made him feel upset. You need to apologize. And she says, okay, so we, you know. And then I say, now, Ezra, Ari, Aria has apologized. Now, you need to forgive your sister. And he says, okay, forgive you. And I say, not like a ghoul. And he says, okay, I forgive you. <laughs> but I realize that I'm maybe not sending the right message about forgiveness when we have these interactions. See, I'm, I'm inadvertently teaching my son and my daughter that forgiveness always follows an apology. But that's not really how forgiveness works. Forgiveness isn't actually transactional. And see, we hear David, he's offering forgiveness to Saul where clearly no apology has been given. In fact, all of David's men think he's crazy for issuing this forgiveness to Saul. Saul has not only been hunting David, but he's also been slaughtering anyone who gets in the way. He's been doing horrible, horrible things. And yet, David offers forgiveness and mercy. I want to take a look at what David says. After Saul leaves the cave, David calls out to him. He said to Saul, Why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It is a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. Even though you're hunting me, I will not kill you. You see, David is explaining to Saul how it is. He's asking Saul to stop, but there's no expectation of an apology. His forgiveness doesn't hinge on Saul's repentance. David is offering forgiveness in his truest form, as a gift, and Saul has to decide what to do with that gift. So the next truth I think we can learn about this morning 
is that forgiveness comes at a price. You see, forgiveness is required when someone has wronged someone else. There's always a price to be paid. And I think this is another thing about forgiveness that can be hard, is it can offend our sense of justice. You see, there's this, this news story that's circulating right now that maybe you've seen about um, a man, a young man who was killed in his home. It was a horrible situation. And then the story sort of started to go viral because the younger brother of the man who was killed, this young man with a deep faith, offered forgiveness to his brother's killer. And it's, it's a controversial case, and it's an emotional case. And I think what's at the root of the people going back and forth on whether or not this forgiveness was a good thing and, and what else do we need to include in this conversation, I think at the root of all of that is the balance between forgiveness and justice. Sometimes it feels like when we forgive, we're saying that what happened was okay. We're not. That's not what forgiveness means. See, sometimes the cost of forgiveness is that we have to set aside our pride, our desire for revenge, and our desire to right the wrongs of the world. And we don't want to let somebody off the hook sometimes. We want to sit in our righteous indignation, and this is a big one for me, because I feel like sometimes forgiveness means I'm giving up on being right, and I like to be right. Forgiveness costs something. You have to give up your pride, your right to be right. You do have to give up those things in order to forgive. It's a gift, but it's not free to the one who gives it. And so David, in this moment, he's paying this cost with Saul. First of all, he's taking a physical risk. He's stepping out of the cave, putting himself back in harm's way. But he's paying a price in other ways as well. You'll see in verse 5 that David starts to feel guilty about tearing Saul's robe. And this was a little bit confusing to me, so I thought I'd dig into it a little bit, and here's what I found. You see, the robe was deeply symbolic. The robe is symbolic of Saul's kingship. And so by cutting the robe, David is essentially symbolically transferring power over from Saul to himself, which is what we know is coming down the road, as God has claimed David as his anointed and said, Saul is no longer my anointed. And so David, he's sort of signifying this transfer of power, and he's making the robe ceremonially unclean, which means Saul is not acting as king while his robe is messed up. So, in case you were wondering, that's what I discovered as I dug into this, is that David lives in immediate regret because of the symbol of what he's done by cutting this robe. He's taking the power for himself. But really, David should have been justified in that. He is the Lord's anointed. He is the next king, and God is no longer pleased with Saul. But David is paying the cost of forgiveness. He's paying the right to defend himself and the right to claim what God has promised would be his. And instead, he repents of his act, and he commands his men to do the same. And it must have been an incredibly hard thing to do. A lot of pieces of forgiveness are hard. So let's switch gears and talk about one of the positives, shall we? I think that the third thing we want to talk about forgiveness this morning is that forgiveness offers freedom. You see, back in the day when my nickname was Grudgeon, I kept a record of wrongs. And so when someone did something that was wrong to me, not a physical record, to be clear, that would have been really next level, but a mental record 
when somebody wronged me, you know, you kind of write it down and you fold it up and you tuck it away, right? And so I started to fill up the filing cabinets in my head. Have you ever tried to lug around a filing cabinet? They're extremely heavy. And the more stuff that's in them, the heavier they get. That is what unforgiveness looks like. Let me say it another way. Have you ever traveled with small children and had the debate of do I pack everything into my giant suitcase or do I allow my small child to carry his or her own suitcase? The pros are less stuff in your suitcase. You can pack more outfits. And second, you might build a little sense of independence with your little one going through the airport. But the con is that you know at the worst possible moment your child will abandon that suitcase in the airport and you will be stuck carrying their tiny suitcase and your large suitcase and the stroller bag. And in those moments, all I can think of is how desperate I am to get to the gate and set it all down. This is the thing about forgiveness is that you don't have to wait to get to the gate to set it all down. Forgiveness offers freedom because it invites you to set all that heavy stuff down. It's God's way of saying, you don't have to carry that anymore. That's the beauty of forgiveness is that you don't have to carry the filing cabinet. You don't have to carry the baggage. You can just set it down and say, you know what? This was wrong, but I'm done carrying that. I'm done bringing that into all of my relationships. I'm done bringing that into the way I interact with my husband, my friends, my kids, my parents, with everyone around me, I'm done with that. I'm going to set it down over here and I'm going to walk away. Look at this story of David and Saul. Who's trapped and who's free? It's not a trick question. Saul is trapped. He's trapped in his jealousy. He's trapped in his bitterness. It has taken root and he never recovers. See, if you read on in this chapter, in the moment outside of the cave, Saul seems repentant. He actually breaks down crying. But a couple chapters later, he's back to the same old stuff, throwing spears and chasing David through all the caves. And David is once again back to forgiving him over and over until eventually Saul is killed in battle along with his son Jonathan. And if you want a glimpse into the heart of a person who's free because of forgiveness... Take a look in 2 Samuel chapter 1 at the song that David writes for Saul and for Jonathan. I'll give you a little sample of it. Your pride and joy, O Israel, lies dead on the hills, and how the mighty heroes have fallen. How beloved and gracious were Saul and Jonathan. Beloved and gracious are not two words that I would ever use to describe Saul. He was hateful. He was spiteful, he was jealous, and he slaughtered many, many people. So you can see that this David, he's a man who is not burdened by unforgiveness. He's a man who was free, and he had every earthly reason to hold on to it. Some of what Saul did was unthinkable, from the mind games to the violence to the fits of rage and everything in between, and yet David holds on to forgiveness. It's almost superhuman, his ability to forgive. So much so that I, I think it's important to, to try to figure out why. What motivates David's forgiveness? I think I'm a, I'm a practical woman of action. 
And so when I hear something like this message that I'm delivering to you today, I say, okay, but how? Okay, yes, I want to set all the bags down, but how do I do that? And so I thought maybe we could find some practical steps through this story on what we can do. And the first step is this one, to pray to see someone as God sees them. Pray to see someone as God sees them. This, I think, is one of David's... Oh, sorry, I totally abandoned this. There we go. I think this is one of David's secrets to success. See, over and over again, when he talks about Saul, do you notice how he keeps calling him the Lord's anointed one? Ad nauseum, he keeps saying the Lord's anointed one. See, he doesn't see Saul as this maniacal person out to kill him. This is a huge part of his guilt in cutting the rope, is that he, he felt like he was offending God's anointed one, like he was going against God's view of Saul. And this is something that I think actually translates really well to our modern world. See, every single person that you ever meet is made in the image of God. Even the worst person you've ever met, even the person that you struggle most to forgive, every person has been made in his image, and therefore they have value. And if we pray to God to reveal that value to us, it can begin to soften our hearts. It can begin to sort of water the ground for forgiveness to grow. The hardest part is just softening enough to ask God for that vision, to ask God for his view of someone else. The next step, I think, in how to forgive is to rely on God's justice. If you've ever refereed an argument between your kids before, this is sort of like a microcosm of what this looks like. See, kids, like, they, they want to focus sometimes on the punishment of the other person, right? And they want to make sure that justice is doled out appropriately. And if you've ever had your slightly older child try to put your slightly younger child in a timeout, you know what I'm talking about, right? They get this idea of like, you have wronged me and justice must be served. And what do we do in those moments as mom? We say, that's not your job, right? That's not your job. You need to let mom and dad take care of that. You need to hand that over to us. It's not your job. We will handle the timeouts. We will handle the punishments. And it's the same way with God. He can handle the timeouts and the punishments. David understood this. So in his speech to Saul, he says this in verse 12. Actually, I don't have that one on the screen. You'll just have to take my word for it. He says, may the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. You see, David, he puts justice back in the Lord's hands. He decides he's not going to be the vigilante. He's going to let God do the fighting even though that's really hard. And it requires a lot of discernment because we need to know when to act and when to step back. And we need to know when to fight and when to let God do the fighting. And that's why that brings us all the way back to chapter one of this study, the importance of wisdom and discernment because it crosses the spectrum of all of the topics that we're gonna study through this. So that's the step, rely on God's justice. Count on him to dole out the punishments. And the third thing, is to remember that you were forgiven first. One of the verses that we looked at this past week comes from the book of Ephesians. And this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church, and he emphasizes forgiveness. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to one another 
tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. If we withhold forgiveness, it means that something inside of us is missing a full and complete understanding of the gospel. When, when I withhold my forgiveness, to me that's an indicator that I'm not fully getting the depth of what I've been forgiven. When I'm withholding forgiveness, it means that I maybe have forgotten how desperate I was in need of that forgiveness from Christ. You see, this is the picture of the gospel, is that Christ paid the price for my forgiveness, and the price was very steep. It was much steeper than any price that I'll have to pay. And also to remember that, that, that Christ modeled this too. When he was on the cross, he forgave the very people who drove the nails into his hands because he looked at them and he had compassion. It's not that he doesn't know that it's hard. He knows that it's hard. You know, just this past week, the, this past weekend, actually, my son um, apologized to me for the first time, not just like immediately following, hitting me in the face with something or like being prompted, but he just, he thought about something and he came up to me later and he apologized. And it felt like a really big milestone for us. It felt like a big milestone for him. And so I made a big deal of thanking him and, and offering forgiveness, even though it honestly wasn't that big of a deal to me, but I was glad he thought about it. And I think in this moment, it was a reminder for me that our kids are growing up fast. They're learning how to relate to each other and they're maturing in that ability faster and faster. And new moms with older kids probably know that more clearly than anybody else, how quickly the time passes and how important it is to model well for our kids. It's important that we as moms get this one right. We must seek forgiveness, we must model forgiveness, and we must remember our own forgiveness. We need to seek it, model it, and remember our own forgiveness. Now, I know I've said this before, but it's really important. Please hear me say I understand that this is not easy. And I understand that in a room of this size, some of you have some really ugly and terrible things to forgive. Just remember that forgiveness isn't unburdening. It doesn't diminish what happened to you. It do, it's not a way of saying, that's okay. And I think it's also important to note that forgiveness is not necessarily reconciliation. Forgiveness is a one-way street. It's you putting down something. Reconciliation is a step that sometimes comes later and sometimes doesn't, where two people offer apology and forgiveness to one another and are united. But that's not what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about forgiveness in its purest form, which is just between you and the Lord, and unburdening a thing that you've been carrying and saying to God, I'm not going to carry this anymore. Because forgiveness in its purest form is as beautiful as it is freeing. It's this life that God invites us into. And I, for one, am going to work a little harder at putting stuff down. I don't want to carry it anymore. It's important for my kids. It's important for me. And it's how we can all together become a little more mom strong. Lord God, we thank you for um, what you've forgiven us of. Lord God, I pray, um, I confess there are times I lose sight of how deeply I needed your forgiveness. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for the times that I've harbored resentment and ill feelings. I pray that you would help me to release those feelings. And Lord God, I pray for any woman in this room who's dealing with some really deep and painful hurt. 
I pray that you would begin to sow the seeds of unburdening forgiveness, that you would begin to speak your soft truth into that. We love you. It's such an honor to come before you. It's such an honor to spend time with these women together in community, learning about motherhood and everything in between. In the name I pray, amen.